So this morning we continue uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this is uh, titled, This is Living, as it was last week, Part 2. So we'll just continue with that. These are the Beatitudes that we're covering this morning. And we understand that this is, some, this is the very thing, this is uh, the sermon, uh, the proclamation that Jesus was giving to his disciples, teaching them how to live daily their lives to the glory of God. This is a, a life that is lived in the fullness of Jesus Christ. But one of the questions that I thought of as we were going through is oftentimes what the world will ask is this one question, because after all, it's all about us, isn't it? And the question is, what's in it for me? Right? Have you ever asked that question? What's in it for me? And of course, I'm just joking. It's not all about us, right? We, we know that. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you, you come to realize, oh, so the world doesn't revolve around me. Hmm. You know, and, and we come to realize that it's not about our glory, but it's about His glory. We come to realize that if we lose our lives, we gain them eternally in Christ. We learn all about all these things, how it is that um, in God's economy, just things are different, right? To be great in the sight of God is to be least among men. To be, um, you know, the servant of all is to be really looked to uh, with, with, uh, with greatness before the Lord, to be right before him. So what's in it for me? And I'd, I'd like to answer this question because I can say that question changes once you realize that in Christ, everything is in it for you. I mean, after all, why did Jesus come? He came to fulfill the will of the Father perfectly, but he came for you. Each one of you, specifically, he knew you by name, even before you were forming in the womb of your mother. He laid out for you every day of your life. He knows the number of hairs or not on top of your head. He knows the specifics of each and every one of you. Everything. So what's in it for you? Well, in Christ, everything is in it for you. What I'm saying is that if someone is going to endure something like persecution, we're going to talk about that this morning, for something or someone they stand for or stand with, then it should be worth it, shouldn't it be? I mean, the apostles didn't die for a faith that was worthless, and they certainly did not per perpetrate a lie that would lead them to their own death. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? No, they knew that Jesus had conquered sin on the cross and death as he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. And in Christ, they had gained eternal life. They knew this. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that worth it? And for the apostles, their answer was a resounding, yes, amen, I'm even going to my death because of it. Life abundant in Christ. This is exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples on this hill in Israel on this amazing day a little over 2,000 years ago. And by the way, he's teaching us this morning, on this beautiful summer morning in Riverside, California. As I said last week, I want to remind you of the fact that Jesus did not go up on the hill in order to get away from the crowds that were continuing to gather and increase in numbers. But rather, he went up on that hill and positioned himself in that place so that he would have a better position to draw everyone to his word and, more importantly, to himself. And the question was last week, and I ask you again as we continue through the Beatitudes, is has God allowed you to get into certain positions in life in order that he may gain that better position in your life for that he, so that he would receive your full attention, that you may hear his voice, over all of the other voices, over all of the other distractions, over all the other desires that you may have. It's kind of like, are you looking up to where Jesus truly is and should be in your life and listen to his voice above all else? 
You see, the teacher has taken the position up on the hill and is looking at his disciples to teach them about life. As he sat down, they stood up at attention. And the question is, again, do you want to know what it is to live a life that means something? Truly, I mean, do you want to do you want to learn that? Do you want to come to know that? Do you want to come to understand that? Well, I have to ask you at this point. Just completely dismantle, put away any preconceived notions of happiness that you had up to this point. If it's not Jesus Christ. If it's anything but him. Put it off to the side, whatever that may be. And maybe something's going through your mind right now. You see, the dictionary defines living as the pursuit of a lifestyle of the specific type. Well, there's country living, there's suburban living, there's city living, there's affluent living, there's a living that is surrounded uh, or, or centered around traveling. There's all kinds of ways in which we can define living as. Oh, that's truly living. To live a life on the edge to get that adrenaline rush. You know, I know adrenaline junkies. You know, whether it be supercross or, or skydiving. I, I know plenty of people who, uh, plenty of friends that love to skydive. And they do it more and more because it's just that adrenaline rush. You have to get it one more time. What is it? What is it? Well, Albert Einstein said this, quote, A life directed chiefly toward the fulfillment of personal desires will sooner or later always lead to bitter disappointment. Close quote. And again, Jesus was about to teach them how to live. And so Jesus opened his mouth. Jesus could have very well taught them with his mouth closed and just living by example. After all, he was perfect as he walked this earth. But he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. To be blessed, again, is to, as I remind you, to possess a divine joy. It's a joy that's unshakable, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in. And and do you want to learn what life is? Do you want to have that joy? Do you want to possess it? Well, you can receive it in Jesus Christ. You can know it fully. You can understand it and you can live it out. Because this is true happiness. This is living. Let's talk about, first of all, the fact of the matter is, the Lord said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy. Forgives. Mercy is compassionate. Mercy withdraws from the power to harm or to punish someone else. Mercy relieves suffering. Mercy holds back what perhaps someone else deserves. A heart of mercy is one who weeps with those who weep and mourns with those who mourn, always looking to restore a broken relationship. A heart of mercy will think the best of others and meet them where they are, even if they are outwardly sinful. It's very important for us to understand the body of Christ should be known for the love that we have for one another. That blesses the Lord. Being judgmental is not part of the Christian's character. Judging sin is one thing. Judging the sinner is God's part. So that's not our part. So why all of this? Well, because a heart of mercy cares for the souls of men. Because they themselves have received mercy. They know mercy. 
and realize that they are poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They realize that. I'm bankrupt. I'm impoverished. I am nothing outside of God's grace in my life. It's those people that mourn over their sin, knowing that they themselves have received God's grace. Well, what do they do? They hunger and thirst after righteousness. And those who do, the Bible tells us, as Jesus spoke here on the Sermon on the Mount, will be satisfied. And if you want to see a good story about mercy in the Bible, you have to go no further than the story of David and Saul. You see, God was merciful toward David, wasn't he? He was very merciful. What we do know is that David was also merciful toward Saul. This is exemplified through their interactions. Because David very well could have taken him out on several occasions. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 6 and 7, I'll give you one example. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. This was, by the way, that that part where he was in the cave. And he cut the hem of Saul's robe. And then, and then he, he lamented over what he even did at that point. Oh, why, why did I do that? And he forbade his men to go forth and strike Saul. He himself understood that that was God's anointed. That was mercy. Did Saul deserve anything but mercy? Yes, he deserved mercy. Yeah, he deserved to be taken out by David. No? That would be revenge. That would, I'm going to go ahead and take care of this man now. He had every opportunity. He had him right there. He didn't even know he was there. Saul didn't know David was there. That's mercy. Being merciful is not applying what is deserved. Withdrawing your hand. Being merciful, by the way, is a godly characteristic. Is, is God not merciful toward us? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. He's, he's rich in mercy. He's overflowing. He's abundant. Mercy comes from God's throne of grace. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It comes from the very throne of grace. This mercy And by the way, without grace, there can really be no true mercy. Because it always shifts. It's always because of a motive, a personal motive, that it may come out. Mercy that comes from any other place is conditional and limited, but God's mercy is perfect and whole and sufficient and unconditional in Christ Jesus. In Christ, God withdraws with compassion... That which we deserve, we deserve to be judged, but he withdraws his hand. And with our full acknowledgement of God's display of mercy, we are to be merciful toward others. We can not withdraw our hand. We can be in a place of not being merciful toward others in all kinds of different ways. But we ought to be instead displaying the character of God in our lives and being merciful toward others, just as we ourselves have been demonstrated mercy, God's mercy toward us. If we have been forgiven much, would you agree that you've been forgiven much by the Lord? Yes and amen, right? Why wouldn't we forgive others and be merciful toward them? There's, by the way, a story of a man who was forgiven much, his debts, and then he turned around and demanded it of the people who owed him. Oh, he was in trouble. He was in trouble. Why? Because he had been forgiven of much. 
and he should have turned around and been, been merciful. That's a whole lesson there. We should take that to heart because this is living. This is what Jesus was teaching them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He also said, blessed are the pure in heart, verse 8, for they shall see God. This is, this is spiritual integrity. This is spiritual integrity that could only be fully known by God and experienced fully by the person who possesses this inner moral purity before God. This is a person who is undivided, who is fully devoted and committed to God. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man looks, or man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. By all outward appearances, some people can look like they're, they're really righteous and holy. I mean, in all kinds of different ways. But really, that's not what the Lord is looking at. He can look right through you and into your heart and know the intents of your heart. The thoughts, where they come from, where they originate. He, he knows all of those things. We may be able to fake other people out, but we can never fake the Lord out. He knows everything about us. The pure in heart express an inward devotion to God in how they talk and in how they act, what they do, their priorities, what's important to them. Truly, I mean, I know that I'm encouraged when I see a fellow brother or a sister that are passionate about God, the things of God, to bless Him, to honor Him, to put Him above everything else and everyone else. I mean... To come home from a long day at work, very late, to rush, make sure everything's gone as far as what they've brought home. And I'm thinking about this, this one person, and I won't say who it is, but I know that others have done the very same thing. Hurried, rushed, get into the shower, and then tells his family, you guys better get ready, be ready, because as soon as I'm out of the shower, we're going to church. This is a Wednesday night. You know what? It's not about, okay, let's fill this place up. It's not about that. It is not about that. But I love it when I have someone else come alongside and has that kind of a passion and a desire to just be with God's people in God's house, in the very place that God has designated for us to come corporately, to worship Him, to honor Him, to sing His praises. It's, it's encouraging to me. And I know that's in, it's encouraging to you. Because if we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some then what we do is we stir each other up to good works, as Hebrew, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says. We encourage each other, and we should do that even more so as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Jesus is coming soon. We should be all about the Father's business. And so I believe that the pure in heart expresses themselves in these types of ways, that they just can't help themselves, that they weep for what breaks the heart of God, that they rejoice for what blesses the heart of God. They love the gathering of God's people. They love reading the word of God. They love getting into prayer and seeking him. Interceding on behalf of others. Why? Because that's on the forefront of their minds, that's in their hearts, and that's what pours out in their lives. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Bitterness of heart, resentment, anger, lust, doubt, jealousy, covetousness, all of these things all have this blinding effect on each and every one of us. But the person who's pure in heart sees God without these polluting effects and sees God everywhere they go. They see God as creator. They see God as the intercessor. They see God as the savior. They see God as the father. They see God as the Lord of their lives. They see God as comfort, and God as peace, and God as love, and God as grace. 
They see God everywhere, in everything that they are doing. Because they truly believe that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He loves you with an everlasting love. They know that as we go out, there are people who are lost. That Jesus, when he said, I have come to seek and save those who are lost. That as we are given the great commission to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that that is our given work. That's what we are to do. And they do it. They look for every opportunity to do that. To plant a seed, to water it, or maybe even to see a harvest. They're given holy in everything and in every moment to what the Lord wants to do in their lives. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They see God as the only God and demonstrating His love in numerous ways. The chief one being the giving of His Son, the Father giving His Son for the sake of reconciling us unto Himself. The whole way through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is dealing with the spirit of man. Teaching His disciples what it is to know a purity of heart that is undivided and genuinely committed to God. A heart that is honest and straight before the Lord, upright before Him. And again, I need to end this section with, this is living. That's what Jesus is teaching. This is living. This is it right here. You guys want to hear what life is all about? This is it right here. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are... What? You finish it, right? Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 9. Now, the only way that will be peaceable is if first we are pure in heart. Because it's out of the heart that come forth the issues of life, our very words. All of those things come from the heart, right? Otherwise, our peacemaking will rise up from faulty motives that have no lasting power. They'll shift. I'm not talking about a person who lives in peace. Would you, let me ask you this. Would you say that Jesus lived in peace himself? Surrounded by peace. Everything was like perfect. No? Okay, I'm going to throw some other names out there. Um, Paul. The Apostle Paul. Okay, anyone? No? No. No, no. Uh, John. Apostle John, no. Um, Peter, maybe Peter. He had foot and mouth syndrome, but... All right? Maybe some of the stuff that he experienced was his own doing. But no, not him either, right? So, there's this inner peace that that is what Jesus is talking about. Any of you just have this perfect life? I've done this before, and I've never, I've never like had anyone. <laughs> I, I get more of that kind of response, like, you got to be kidding me, right? Living at peace is only known in Jesus Christ. Because, of course, I'm not talking about a person who lives in peace, but rather peace lives in him or her. When that promotes peace and overcomes evil with good. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need His peace. How? As we're trusting in Him wholly with everything. And before He even does anything, we're giving Him thanks. We're satisfied in Him. We're content in Him. We're fulfilled in Him. And whatever it is that he has for our lives, we're looking past our present circumstances, our temporal circumstances, and we're looking to the eternal glory that awaits us. That's what we're looking to. This person, a peacemaker, will have God's interest as, a, as the priority, his glory and his honor. By the way, that would, be, that would mean denying your will if it is not in line with God's will. That's what that means, that that is in order. Completely submitting to God. You come to a crossroads. 
and you get confronted by God's word, his will. Well, what do we do? Well, I feel this way. Well, it really, it really doesn't matter because when you're confronted with God's will, you should surrender and submit to that will, to his will, not your own. Because a peacemaker is not just a person who stands between two people who are fighting, but perhaps is the very person who has offended and is involved in the conflict, has caused injury to someone else. The strongest person in that place is the one who first goes to the other one and asks for forgiveness, surrenders their will, not to the other person, to the Father's will. It's kind of like we have this thing to where it's like, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known as children of God. They shall be called sons of God, right? But we get into the situation where someone else is offended. And we're like, yeah, but if I say I'm sorry, then that means that the other person won. And I didn't do anything. I, I'm, I'm not guilty of anything. It's like, it, does that really matter? Because the question is, what is God's will? What is God's will? Reconcile. Be restored. If you've offended someone else, if you're bringing your gift to the altar and there you, you remember, oh, you offended someone else. Guess what you're supposed to do? Leave your gift right on the altar. Go and be reconciled and then come back. Pick up that gift and, honor, and, and offer it to the Lord. That's what we're to do. That's God's will. That's, that's not the other person's will. That's not my will. <laughs> I really don't want to do that. I really want to stick it to the other person. Well, then have it your way. But that's not God's way. A peacemaker will look for every opportunity when they are made aware that what they're doing is actually adding to the conflict or having it continue on and reconcile and make things right. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You're not a peacemaker if you don't make peace. Romans 12, 17 and 18 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As much as depends on you, not the other person, as much as depends on you. Remember that we're all called to be ambassadors of Christ. And we're entrusted, what? With the ministry of reconciliation. We can't effectively be that and do that if we are falling, failing at being peacemakers according to the will of God. Ultimately, it is to God's glory that this personal characteristic is telling of a child of God. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, And he sometimes putteth himself between the two when they are very angry and taketh the blows from both sides. For he knows that so Jesus did, who took the blows from his father and from, all, from us also, that so by suffering in our stead, peace might be made between God and man, close quote. Uh, to, to be willing to, to be in that place. A peacemaker is a person who is set against everything that is contrary to God and His holiness and does everything they can to settle a matter to bring about peace. First with God, and in so doing, making it possible with man. And I end this section with, this is living. This is living. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Fourthly, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, I mean, up to this point, it's already been difficult enough, right? By the way, we started out with what? Blessed are the what? What's the, what's the first one? No, well, not this morning. What did Jesus start out with? Blessed are the pure in spirit, right? Bankrupt, impoverished. 
I have nothing to offer, everything to gain. I'm in desperate need of God's grace. We go all the way through and we get to this place to where now Jesus is talking about being persecuted and being reviled. John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus was preparing his disciples just as he's preparing us for, for battle, for tribulation, for things that happen around us, for us being persecuted and reviled falsely. Matthew ten sixteen says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the, in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus knew full well, hey, look, in this world, you won't know a peace outside of me. You will have tribulation. So I'm sorry that I cannot preach to you that if you just follow these simple steps that we can find in the Bible here, you will have peace, prosperity. You will have great health. You will have all these things if you just have enough faith. I, I can't. Why? Because it's not, it's not in there. Man maketh that stuff up. Let me be clear. What Jesus is referring to is not being persecuted or reviled because of your own stupidity or unbridled fanaticism that comes across as harsh and personally judgmental with a dash of pride and arrogance. Not talking about that. And we can. I mean, can can we be very, very frank? Can can we, we? We can bring it upon ourselves, can't we? And it's not because we're ignorant, because when we come to know the Word of God, really, again, we should be submitting to that which is godly, His characteristics, gentle in spirit. Not that we do it perfectly, right? But when we willingly go against His very character, then it's something else, and we bring it on ourselves, Please remember that what Jesus is referring to on this hill is not valued by our modern culture. So we need to quit trying to be relevant to the point to where we are compromising the very message of God. We look more like the world than we do like Jesus. We have a worldly character instead of a godly character. We compromise to the, to, to the point to where we wash down and completely dilute the effectiveness of God in our lives, the Spirit moving through us to impact lives around us. It is not recognized, these qualities to be, they're not recognized as being strong qualities that matter. They're not accepted and embraced by the world. So we shouldn't expect them to. It's like I, I catch myself saying it all the time. Hey, listen, don't expect the world to understand. Don't expect the world to understand spiritual matters. They are not spiritual. I was not spiritual until I came to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And then the only reason why I was spiritual is because the Spirit then indwelt me <laughs> and gave me understanding. The same Spirit that sealed me for the day of redemption is the same Spirit who gave me understanding of the Scriptures. And I began to understand Spiritual matters. The world doesn't understand. It's not until you sit down and you're willing to listen and receive that the Spirit makes it known to you. And at that point, you have the option. Do I receive that as truly being God's Word? Do I understand that Jesus is the Son of the Father, the Son of God? Do, Do I receive that for myself? The world, well, that's who the Lord came, Jesus Christ, to reconcile so that the world may be reconciled unto the Father. But he gave us the opportunity. He, make, he, made, he made us uh, be able to, as we respond to that sacrifice, to the offer of forgiveness and salvation in Christ Jesus. 
No, Jesus is referring to those who are being persecuted for righteousness' sake and referring to those who are being reviled and talked about falsely on his account. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporal. Fleeting. For a moment. But the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, Jesus knew that Christians, his followers, were going to be persecuted. He knew that they were going to be falsely accused and treated with contempt. He knew all these things. They were accused of speaking against Rome, inciting riots, accused of dividing families, even of immorality and cannibalism. They were accused of all of these things. We're we're accused of all kinds of things ourselves today. Today in America, we're pretty close to being called extremists who are dangerous to society. Christians are already considered to be narrow-minded and blind and even stupid and naive. Luke 6.26 says this, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And Jesus, knowing this, was coming. Encourage them to rejoice and be glad. Blessed are those who are persecuted. So he says, for, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad. For good reason, is what he was saying. For good reason. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For your reward is great in heaven. In heaven. In heaven. I'm not stuck there. But I want to make it very clear. In heaven. In heaven. Living as a Christian is not focused on the difficulties of the moment. But rather on the hope of our future in heaven through Christ. Have you ever heard of the thousand yard stare? Any of you have been in the military? Okay. You learn that stare in boot camp. It's, I mean, you've never been in this place, but you're standing at attention, and the drill sergeant or company commander or whatever they're called in your branch of service, they, they're, they're like that far away from you, right? And they're yelling at you, screaming at you. And, and, you know, if you're taught to always look a person in the eye, and then you look them in the eye, and then you hear, don't look me in the eye! Like, I'm being respectful, Right? It's like, where do I look? And you, you have people, by the way, when that, that is, and you will hear that. If, you, if you've, got, you've been to boot camp, going to boot camp, you're going to hear that. And someone always does one of these. <laughs> like, look at me! And like, you said not to look at you! <laughs> I'm looking away. And like, which one do you want, right? That thousand yard stare. Actually, it's often associated with a limp, unfocused gaze of a battle-weary soldier. But I believe it can also be the refusal to focus on the distractions of the day, but rather look beyond them to the glory that awaits us. Learning to do that. Because what you learn to do is you're looking straight, but you're not looking here. You're looking beyond. It's that thousand-yard stare And no matter what he's saying, you're listening to the fine points, to those words, to where if there is a truly a direct command, you are to follow it immediately. And you tune out everything else that's going on around you. 
all the distractions. We, as Christians, we need to learn to do that. That no matter who or what is in our face, that we're looking beyond. We're looking beyond. It's amazing what you can endure when you have your eyes fixed on the glory of God. It's amazing how, how you can endure those things. Enduring is not just sitting on your hands and saying, Oh, man, woe is me. Mm. I'm going through all these things, and I just I don't know. I'm not saying don't have compassion. Okay, I'm not saying that. Okay, please don't hear me in that fashion. But it's knowing what you're going through and keeping your eyes on the prize. Who is? It's a person. Jesus Christ. Now, that's what life is all about. If you've met Jesus and if he's your savior, hey, you're a winner. Ding, ding. You're, you're basically done. Now you keep your eyes focused on him. Go beyond. And all these things around you will serve as opportunities to bring him glory. They look at how you're dealing with these things. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's encouraging. That's strengthening right there. I want, I want that. I want him. I want Jesus, the one that you've come to know. That's who I want in my life. That's who I want. That's my Savior. That's a God worth dying for even, giving my life. I believe the Apostle Paul had this thousand-yard stare. I believe he had it down pat, right? As it pertained to his present suffering and heaven. He put things in proper perspective. That's what he did. Romans 8.18, he wrote this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Guys ever been beaten? For Christ's sake. Guys ever been imprisoned several times, shipwrecked? Have you ever been, like, stoned with rocks and left for dead? No. Paul did. And all these things. Hungry, tired, sleepless, cold. All those things he experienced. And yet he says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, his life, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not worth comparing. Sorry, just not there, no matter what. And guess what? This is living. This is living. When you get your eyes off of everything else and place them squarely on Jesus, what can shake you? What can move you? Nada. Nothing. Zero. Zip. This is living. Life is brief. James 4.14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What's the purpose of life? You ever asked Siri that? She's a little off. Have you ever wondered to yourself, what is the purpose of life? To live, laugh, and love? Do you have that little placard? <laughs> what's life? Eating? What's, what's life? Travel? No. The purpose of life is Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, beforehand that we should walk in them. It's the very things that we've listed out up to this point. That's life. That's living. Those are good works as we respond to life in that manner, in that way. So we are to redeem the time. I want to encourage you to redeem the time. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this is the will of the Lord. We are to walk in it. The sermon and study is for the believer. If you're here this morning and you thought you would get something else, um, it's for the church. It's for the church. 
the Lord Jesus, it was from the very beginning of this chapter, pulled his disciples together. And this is what he was teaching them. Right? The world around sees, hears. And the Bible tells us that the reason why Jesus came and to, it was to reconcile us, uh, us to the Father, to die in our place. Why did he need to die in our place? Why? Because our sins separate us from the Father. He came to die for those sins. He shed his blood. Without the, remi- uh, the, uh, the remission of sin, there, there is no... Or without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness. Um, so he came to shed his blood that we would be reconciled unto the Father. And the Bible tells us that if we believe that he is the Son of God, that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved. We shall be saved. That's a gift of God. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. So what's in it for you? That's what's in it for you. Eternal life. And then all of these things that we went over is a response to what the Lord has already offered to us through Jesus Christ and given to us by grace through faith in him. What's in it for you is eternal life, forgiveness of sins. To be able to have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who is our prize. To know eternal life unto the Father by God's grace through Jesus Christ. That's what's in it for you. I'm going to ask um, for the elders to come up. And yeah, I'm done. <laughs> um, and, and I am done. Personally, I was, I was done even before I started. Because um, <clears throat> it's, it's really not about my words... It's not really even my ministry. It's not our ministry. You see, Jesus Christ is the head of this church, just as he should be of all the other, because we're one church and he is the head. And it's his spirit that moves in each and every one of our hearts. And I want to take a moment. I I just feel strongly that we, uh, as a church, number one, need to spend a little extended time in worship But I also want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to call you, and I'll just be very straightforward with you, that if you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that this is the morning that I'm throwing it out there, and I'm saying, hey, you know what? Respond to that love. Respond to that invitation. If you yourself want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then I would say, stand up, come forward, let us pray with you and encourage you. Because we rejoice with the, heaven, with, the, with the angels in heaven over one sinner that repents. This is the one place that definitely you, can, you should feel safe. And you should feel welcome. And understand that we will rejoice with you and encourage you. As you step up, step, step up and, and out. For the sake of Christ. Because if we confess him before men, he will... Confess us before the Father who is in heaven. If we deny Jesus Christ before men, he will deny us before the Father who is in heaven. And so, there's no such thing as a, as a Christian who no one knows about. We should proclaim him as Lord and Savior. I'm also going to put out this, and that is, for those of you who would like to recommit your lives to Christ, perhaps up to this point, even may be convicted of some things in your own life and would like to recommit your life to the Lord, I'd like to give you that opportunity to, to stand up, come, for, come forth. And um, it, it's not for us to receive those confessions. You confess those before the Lord. We just pray for you and encourage you once more. This is also an opportunity for anyone who's dealing with any kind of difficulties in in your life and and you want to have that thousand yard stare down that is looking beyond those circumstances and looking beyond all the distractions and and we could be in that place to where we come alongside you and just pray for you 
and then encourage you in those matters. And I would encourage you to come up. Just come up. This is a time of prayer. I've asked the worship team to be prepared for a few, with a few songs, and we'll, we'll be up here available for you. We're here to serve you. Father, we... Lord, we are thankful for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. Lord, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray that you would help us to reflect your character in our lives. And by the power of your spirit, we would do so. For those who are here and do not know you, Jesus as Lord, as Savior, I pray that today be the day of salvation. That today they would proclaim to the world that they are yours and you are theirs. That today they would rejoice in the forgiveness of their sins. And Lord, that they would know that they are new creatures in Christ as the old has passed away and all becomes new and are welcomed with open arms into your embrace. Um, And from this point and forevermore, they can never be plucked out of your hand for they know salvation in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that they would respond, that you would move in their lives and that they would stand to their feet, come forward, Lord, and proclaim that very truth in their lives. I pray for anyone who has been in that place of compromise, of just not being right with you. I pray, Father, that today would be the day of recommitment, of just being fully committed to and devoted to you and your glory in their lives that they would allow us, brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage them, pray for them, and just come alongside. Pray for anyone who's dealing with health issues, anyone who is dealing with circumstances that are very difficult. Help us to come alongside them as well. Lord, as you pour into them, as you give them strength, as you reveal to them again, who you are in their lives, that they would be able to rejoice in you and be glad because you are their God, you are their Savior, you are their Lord, and there's a glory that awaits each and every one of us who place our trust in Jesus Christ. We commit the rest of this morning into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.